I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. We're back, taking you inside the biggest local and state stories of the week. Stories like questions around another police shooting. A grieving mother still unsure why her son, Anthony Alvarez, is dead, shot as he ran away from police just a block away from his Portage Park home late last month. Serious accusations aimed at city employees. Investigators for the Park District have been looking into allegations of widespread serious sexual misconduct involving lifeguards at the city's pools and beaches. The mayor unveils a massive infrastructure plan. We're looking at 3.7 billion dollars over the next five years invested in all 77 of Chicago's neighborhoods. And Chicago politicians doing what Chicago politicians are uh, famous for. The latest politicians facing federal charges are Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson and former Alderman Ricardo Munoz. Joining us this week on the recap, Manny Ramos, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times and Paris Schutz, host and reporter for WTTW. Paris, we just heard that last bit of sound, a former and current alderman under indictment. Give us the details. Well, there's Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson, and that middle name is no stranger to Chicago, and the nephew of former Mayor Richard M. Daly, the grandson of former Mayor Richard J. Daly, and he is charged with uh, making false statements and uh, filing false tax claims to the IRS, and this is in connection with this giant probe of massive fraud uh, of Washington Federal Bank and Savings in Bridgeport. That's a bank that is now defunct. It failed. It had $66 million in bad loans. And I would point your listeners to the reporting of Tim Novak in the Sun-Times investigating all the the crazy things this bank did. In this case, uh, what's alleged is that Daley Thompson got $219,000 in loans. Uh, and he made one payment on it, and that was it. And wow. then, he, then he made a bunch of false statements about it. And then there's former Alderman Ricardo Munoz. Yeah, a 29-page indictment was made public yesterday. What's, what are the main charges there? He used this political action committee money for his own personal expenses, like going uh, traveling and going to basketball games. And, and then there's a purchase at Lover's Lane in this indictment. And, you know, he was part of the progressive caucus on city council, which was sort of the liberal counterbalance to Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And he, you know, kind of fancied himself as a progressive politician, did things the right way. But it turns out, uh, according to these allegations, it was anything but that. All right, we're going to shift directions. Uh, Manny, you've been covering the census for the last two years. Can you tell us what the census results that were released this week mean for the state? For those that don't know, the census is a nationwide headcount that is done every 10 years um, that essentially decides how states receive federal funding for social services, uh, among other things, and how states are represented in Congress. Um, Well, this week we finally got the first batch of data from the once-a-decade count, and Illinois was able to avoid its worst-case scenario of losing two seats in the House of U.S. Representatives but we'll still ultimately end up losing one. Um, and this loss, as you know, will also have an effect on the number of votes the state gets at, in the Electoral College. So th- what this means is instead of sending 18 members to Congress, the state under the new reappropriation will only be sending uh, 17 members. And it's more than likely that that seat will be lost somewhere downstate. 
though there is still fear that the state might lose one black majority district as the redrawing of congressional districts begin, the fear is that, you know, districts will grow larger and move further south or west into majority white communities, uh, which could tip the scale into losing, potentially losing a black congressperson. Um, but again, that's all theoretical at this point. Currently, the state has three black majority districts and one Hispanic majority district. This isn't something new, though, for Illinois. I mean, the state has been losing seats in the House um, as a result of the census for decades now. In 1970, we had 24 seats, but you know, every 10 years since, we've seen a loss of one or two seats. But overall speaking, the population fell about 18,000 between April uh, 2010 census to April 2020 census. And the state is one of three states in the country to actually lose population um, as a result of the 2010 count. Mayor Lightfoot launched her infrastructure improvement plan. Uh, Paris, what do you know about that? Well, over multiple years, uh, apparently supposed to be about $1.4 billion, but paid for by borrowing against future property taxes. I didn't even know the city had the capacity to borrow any more than it already has. With infrastructure... These are kind of like little gifts to aldermen to maybe entice them to stay on her side. And, you know, they're going to be up for re-election in 2023. It always looks better when you've got a nice little renewed streetscape in your ward and a new library building. But, you know, infrastructure is a good thing. The city needs to upgrade its infrastructure, needs to upgrade its streets. I'll be curious to see uh, whether Congress passes uh, the Biden infrastructure plan and, and whether some of that federal money can cover these costs. While we're on the topic of of infrastructure and roads, uh, Outer Lakeshore Drive might be getting a new name. Manny, what do we know so far about that? Well, on Thursday, Chicago City Council backed the renaming of, as you mentioned, Outer Lakeshore Drive from um, Hollywood Avenue to about 67th Street in honor of John Batista Ponte Dusabo, though it came at an ejection from Mayor Lightfoot. Um, This is a proposal that Alderman David Moore, the 17th Ward, and Alderman uh, Sophia King of the 14th Ward have been pushing for the last couple of years. And for those, again, who don't know, Gustavo is considered the first non-Indigenous settler of Chicago. Uh, you know, he's a black man of Haitian descent um, who was thought to be the founder of Chicago. It was a contentious meeting uh, where Moore and others uh, uh, called a substitute ordinance by the Lightfoot administration racist. It was ultimately contentious, but passed anyways. And WBEZ also had a big story this week. Our own Dan Mehalopoulos released his investigation about widespread misconduct and and sexual harassment among lifeguards. Uh, Paris, what did you make of this story and of the city's response? Well, it's stunning and, as usual, amazing work by your own Dan Mehalopoulos for for digging into this and getting this Inspector General uh, report. Uh, Apparently the Inspector General has been probing probing at least – sexual harassment claims against at least three uh, or more uh, lifeguards, uh, claims of uh, violence, uh, retaliation. And, um, you know, this week, uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, held a press conference uh, involving the Park District, but Park District Commissioner uh, Mike Kelly wasn't there. Kelly has been there for years and years, goes back to the Emanuel administration. And um, I I wonder if uh, Kelly himself is going to survive this, uh, not, not that there's any accusation against him or that he knew about any of this, but apparently these things were happening under his watch. Let's talk about police for a moment. This week we saw video footage of yet another fatal shooting by uh, Chicago police. Uh, that was 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez 
of Portage Park. Manny, can you fill us in on those details? Sure. So the video of a police officer shooting and killing Anthony Alvarez on March 31st um, was released this week by the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. The Alvarez story has largely been eclipsed by the death of 13-year-old Adam Toledo, um, who was killed by a police officer in Little Village only two days before. Um, but the video shows a very similar situation to Toledo, with police officers chasing Alvarez through the Portage Park neighborhood, um, where uh, when Alvarez turns on the 5200 block of West Eddy Street, according to the video, he appears to trip when he gets back up to run again. Police shoot him in the back. Um, to me, anyways, while I'm viewing the video, they didn't appear to show him turning or raising the gun in any way at, at the officer. But after being shot, Alvarez you know, asked the officer, why are you shooting me? The cop responded, you had a gun. A third-party camera appears to show a gun on the lawn um, as an officer renders aid to Alvarez, who ultimately um, you know, succumbs to his injury. Uh, but this is another instance of young Latinos being shot and killed by police officers. Um, but what remains unclear is what initiated that foot chase. You know, Mayor Lightfoot referred to it as a minor traffic offense, you know, leading to a tragic death. But Chicago's top cop refuses to comment on, you know, citing uh, a COPA, an ongoing COPA investigation. Yeah, the Latino community is, is crying out here. Are you sensing, many a growing tension between that community and, and police? It's hard to say uh, whether or not there's a growing tension or not. What is growing, I think, is the call for transparency, um, the call for, you know, some sort of reform. The Latino community in Chicago is not a monolith, so it's, it's really difficult to say, you know, what some folks are feeling. But I think the need for transparency is definitely being called for. A few years ago, right after Laquan McDonald, there was another uh, police-involved shooting, and it was it was shot in the back. A guy named Ronnie Johnson. He was he was with a gun. He was resisting arrest. He ran away. He was shot and killed. And at the time, authorities did not bring charges against the police officer. And they said it was justified that you can shoot in the back if if the person is armed because they're they're deemed a threat to the community. That law is different now. The shooting is only justified if the police officer feels imminent danger, that they're going to be harmed. And that's what's going to be looked at here in this Alvarez case. And that being said, the legal standard is still going to be very high to bring any kind of charges against the officer, Officer Solano. And there's a difference between the legal standard and the moral standard. It doesn't, we don't know why police were chasing this young man. We don't know why this happened. But from a legal standard, if he has a gun and he is running, it's going to be very hard to bring charges against the officer. That's Paris Schutz of WTTW. Also with us on the recap today is Manny Ramos of the Chicago Sun-Times. Paris, Manny, there's plenty more to talk about. Let's listen. Governor Pritzker will announce a new program to provide education and resources in areas with vulnerable populations as new studies show more people are hesitant to get the coronavirus vaccine. Justin Fields is an excellent draft prospect. He falls to number 11 overall, and the Chicago Bears go get him. You want to have a bigger wedding, which we've been hearing from a lot of you about. Make sure your guests get vaccinated, and you can have a bigger wedding safely. Effective immediately, increase indoor and outdoor capacity, fans back in the stands at the United Center, and Lakefront Beach is reopening. All right, who's ready for some good news this week? Looks like people are getting vaccinated and life might slowly be getting back to normal. Is that right, Paris? Well, I mean, I think the vaccination rates have to continue to go up. People just need to keep getting vaccinated so the city gets to that uh, 70% or so threshold for herd immunity. But yes, 
somewhat back to normal. We'll see farmers markets and street festivals this summer. We missed them so much uh, last year, but they'll be partially attended. They'll, you'll still have to sort of have uh, space limits uh, with people. You'll still have to wear masks. And then at Bulls and Blackhawks games at the United Center, they announced they're going to do 20% capacity. They're allowed 25, but for social distancing, uh, they're going to do 20%. For now, and maybe in the coming weeks, as those rates continue to improve, and, and hopefully as this curve bends downward, it's, it's kind of stubborn right now. It's you know, kind of staying around 4% positivity in the state, 5% in the city. But those vaccination rates have to keep going. It, ha- it has to outpace the, the rate of spread of mm-hmm. the variant. And then the restrictions can get loosened even more. What about restaurants and bars, Paris? 50% capacity right now. Some restaurants and bars might be a little creative in, in, in how they decide what 50% capacity looks like. Uh, but, you know, certainly it's a welcome development. Most live theater venues say it's still not enough to really support doing shows and paying everybody and paying the actors. So it doesn't mean that that can really come back yet. There are some venues doing live music right now. The Green Mill has been doing it at limited capacity. So that's it's really tenuous for, for those venues to really reopen until there is almost close to full uh, capacity allowed. Manny, do you think you'll be checking out any live shows anytime soon? What, what would it take to get you back into the seats? I don't know if if I'm quite ready there yet, I, reason being, I just had a daughter. Um, so oh, kind of being, Thank you. Being extremely cautious, probably overly and too cautious. But if people are vaccinated and, and continue to follow CDC guidelines, you know, I should go for it. I want to talk sports for a bit. Uh, let's talk about the, the United Center opening, Manny. Yeah, so uh, UC's opening up, um, you know, it, it, it comes with, you know, the Bulls only having a few games left as well as the Blackhawks. Um, I believe the Bulls' first game with fans will be May 7th against the Celtics, and, and the Hawks will face off against the Stars on May 9th. Yeah, it's exciting, I guess, for sports to be back and, and a signal for the next season. We've got one more big sports story this week, and that involves the Bears. Can you tell us about that, Manny? Yeah, it's exciting to be a Bears fan this morning. The team traded up uh, its number 20 pick to the New York Giants for its number 11th pick to pick up one of the best QBs in the 2021 uh, NFL draft class, um, and that was Ohio State's Justin Fields. The Bears had to you know, move around quite a few things. They, they moved the first-round pick in this year's and next year's, as well as an additional fourth-round pick in 2022, um, and I believe a fifth-round pick in 2021. Uh, but in my opinion, it's worth it. I mean, the Bears get a dynamic playmaker uh, with an amazing, strong arm, and it comes with the, when the team was sort of in this limbo uh, state of a QB, right? They were unable to secure a successful, uh, talented QB in the offseason. Um, we got Dalton for some reason. But now we have to see if Matt Nagy can truly develop fields into the QB Chicago has desperately needed. Yeah, my, my Twitter feed was was going nuts. Paris, weigh in here. What do you think of this yeah, Bears Well, pick? I got to tell you, we remember four years ago when GM Ryan Pace uh, traded up to get Mitch Trubisky, the supposed franchise quarterback. But I got to tell you, this feels different. It does. Because back then, Trubisky was unproven. It was a stretch. He was 8-5 and five in his senior year at North Carolina, and he didn't even play before that. This guy, Justin Fields, has all the tools. Ohio State, all he did was win, 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 win on the biggest stages. All he did was throw touchdowns and throw for incredible statistics. So there's far more known about this guy than Trubisky. And to me, it feels like 
far more likely this guy has a chance to develop into a franchise QB and a pro bowler than Trubisky. That was a total roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one here, the consensus seems to be uh, this was totally worth you know what they gave up to get up there and finally and by by the way in one day i've never seen the fortunes for the bears at least seem <laughs> to turn so much in one day not only do they get their franchise quarterback but the nemesis aaron Rodgers, says he never wants to play for green bay yep. again. <laughs> i mean i don't think i've ever since 1985 there may not have been one better day to be a bears fan but we'll yeah. see how it turns out on the field yeah i was watching my twitter timeline just go wild people are like oh my god it's happening it's happening Oh, it happened. You know, it, it just went crazy. And I was I was I, I knew that something of a big deal happened for sure. Bears fans deserve it. They deserve some excitement after uh, lots of decades of quarterback futility. And it's just so wild that he dropped to the 11th pick. Right. Like that. That was right. something that everyone was shocked over. Manny, you updated a story this week that many of us remember from a few years back. It was about a Southside Little League team. Yeah, so a lawsuit involving Jackie Robinson West was settled, um, and a separate lawsuit against the team's two volunteer coaches were dismissed by Little League International. Um, so I guess for a quick reminder, Jackie Robinson West captivated the city um, and the nation in 2014 as they made their historic championship run um, at the Little League World Series. Um, the team was made up of you know 13 boys ages 10 to 12 who were all from the south side. The all-black team spent, you know, two weeks on the road competing and ultimately defeating a team from Las Vegas uh, to win the U.S. championship. But they ended up losing uh, to a team from South Korea in the World Championship game. Uh, you know, they were welcomed with huge prep rallies. You know, White House flew the boys in to meet President Obama. But soon after, uh, a rival team uh, came out and alleged uh, or accused um, the Jackie Robinson West team of using ineligible players. You know, Little League initially denied that this was a, a, an issue, um, but then they later came out and said that the president and the treasurer of Jackie Robinson West did, in fact, create uh, false league maps. And they ultimately stripped the title from the team and demanded those administrators be removed from the team. Soon after, those boys, all 13 of them, filed a lawsuit against Little League, asking for their title to be reinstated since they were not aware of the fact that they were ineligible. Mm. Little League said the boys on the team had no knowledge they were ineligible, but they still are calling for the title to be reinstated, uh, pointing to the fact of how uh, the Houston Astros kept their 2017 World Series championship even after the sign-stealing scandal. Mm. Um, At least the boys, they said, and the coaches had no idea what was going on, um, and they shouldn't be punished in that that, uh, far of extent. Paris, do you remember when that team won back in 2014? I absolutely, I, I absolutely do. It was kind of like the Cubs winning the World Series. They mm-hmm. absolutely captivated the city, and everybody gathered in bars to watch them. It was it's such an amazing story, and these kids were amazing. And it really, the administrators, uh, you know, shame on them because these, it's traumatic for these kids to play like this, to put in the work, to win this title, and then to have it stripped them from them through nothing that they did. Some of these players, by the way, are so. I mean, they're going to play professional ball. I mean, uh, they were that good. So, you know, my my heart goes out to the to the kids that that captive. They still captivated the city, and nothing can take that away from them. They well, were amazing players, and and we all loved watching them. Do either of you remember the the photo of them in, in their jerseys when they were visiting President Obama at the White House? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, and again, nothing can take away those memories, even if. Uh, the, the adults here failed them. And Paris, uh, switching gears, you had a story 
this week about a possible new buyer for the Tribune. It's, it's a story that we've been talking about here on Reset as well. So what's the latest there? What we reported was that the nonprofit, the philanthropic community, some of the big names in the philanthropic community in Chicago uh, that have very deep pockets, they've stepped up a, a little bit more lately in terms of trying to facilitate somebody. Because there was a story that came out yesterday, Stuart Bainham um, is the guy that wants to you know, buy a Tribune Publishing from Alden and prevent an Alden takeover. But he really needs – what he really needs is at least one more wealthy person in Chicago to put this bid over the top to have, a, have enough money to do it. So where the philanthropic groups come in is just trying to facilitate that, finding that person. Now, there is disagreement, though. There are some folks in this world in Chicago that believe that the philanthropic groups like MacArthur and Pritzker Traubert and uh, Ford Foundation, Joyce, Community Trust – all these groups, they should somehow pool their resources and become a nonprofit ownership group. Mostly there's resistance to that. They feel like we're not in the business of running a newspaper. We don't know how to do that. That's not what we should do. But we have deep Rolodexes. We need to find the right person to put this bid from Stuart Bainham over the top. Well, that's it for the weekly news recap. We have been talking with Chicago Sun-Times reporter Manny Ramos and WTTW political correspondent and co-anchor Paris Schatz. Thank you both for stopping by to talk news and politics. Have a good weekend. And that's the weekly news recap. For smart conversations around what's happening in our city and our state, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast or check out the Reset archives at wbez.org reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. 